Today's episode is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia. Originally created for the US military, Military Energy Gum has now been widely used as a caffeine supplement in elite sports all over the world. It comes in three different flavors in cinnamon, arctic mint, and my personal favorite, spearmint. And with 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, it's a really simple, quick, cheap, and tasty way of getting your caffeine fix. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. How now, brown cow? Oh, we're live. Okay, guys, today's guest is a very good one. In his playing career, he represented Auckland, North Harbour, and the Crusaders before moving to the UK. And in his first season with the Newcastle Falcons, he helped them win the English Premiership. Next, he went on to captain the Northampton Saints in their first ever Heineken Cup win. He also represented Samoa in three Rugby World Cups, making the 1991 and 1995 quarterfinals against all expectations. He's also played a non-test match game for the All Blacks versus Sydney in 1992. In his coaching career, which is just as, if not more impressive, he has been an assistant coach for Scotland. He was the head coach of the Auckland Blues in Super Rugby. He's also coached Manu Samoa and the Pacific Islanders. More recently, he won a Pro 12, now Pro 18 title with Irish province Connaught before taking up his current role as Director of Rugby at the Bristol Bears, where so far they have won the European Challenge Cup and are currently atop the English Premiership. Pat's hallmark in my mind is his ability to change the culture of a club and we talk through this in great depth. He's a seriously impressive human being and I really enjoyed talking to him. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the Bristol Bears Director of Rugby, Pat Lamb. Okay, we're live. Mate, Pat, how the hell are you? Thank you for doing this. How's life in the UK at the moment? It's actually uh, not as bad as what the Southern Hemisphere think. And when I say that, it's don't get me wrong, there's uh, lots of uh, COVID's having a huge impact here. But when I say that, my when my family and ring, it's sort of like they get all the worst news, um, like like the media does in the news. And um, and there has been a lot of deaths, don't get me wrong, but it's, you know, when you're sort of <clears throat> focusing on what's going around you every day, um, it's, uh, um, it, it's certainly, uh, and you block out all the, the, the news that's going on, it, it's, it's just day to day and um, it's actually not bad. And I, I feel, I feel blessed that um, it allows you, COVID, what it allows you to focus on what's important and, uh, and appreciate what you do. Well, one of the things, I don't want to talk too much about COVID-19, but I suppose it's everywhere. So I've got to ask you a little bit about it. What learnings have you taken from the last year in, in terms of coaching and life, if you can talk about that? Certainly with COVID, I think one of the things if, and look, don't obviously I don't wish it on, anyone I wish it wasn't here however what it has done funny enough I always have a theme for every season um, and a focus and year one when I started it was all about relationships and you know we put a huge emphasis on building relationships not because um, we need new friends and and so forth for that that that's just a bonus and reality is that our closest friends are people we've known for a long time and we all know that we're in a finite time. We've been brought together through rugby. But the reason you build relationships is so that under pressure, and we will all be under pressure, whether it's daily or games or throughout the season, you can actually be true and you can be honest. And without um, 
without getting too upset because we've got strong relationships. That's why I always say that, yeah, you know, the, your wives and your partners, are, um, when they're screaming at you, they normally talk to you louder or shout at you uh, in a way that they won't do it to the general public. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that they're able to express how they actually feel because you're like this. You love each other, you're tight, your relationship's good, that they can be honest. I always say when when guys say, oh, me and my girlfriend, we don't we don't argue. And I said, no, you're just not being honest. You're not actually saying how you feel. You know, you want to, you, and that's what you want in relationships and rugby teams, that you can be honest and say what you feel at any given time. So that's what that was. Year two was all about challenge. Um, so year one, those relationships continued. So while it's introduced in year one, it's ongoing. Year two was all about uh, focus was challenge. Let's challenge our standards. Let's challenge, um, you know, things that could be better. And obviously, if you build the relationships, it's easier to challenge. Uh, year three was all about ownership. Let's own your development. Let's own your learning. If you want to achieve, let's own your goals. So we, what I try to do is provide everything a rugby player needs to be the best that he can. You know, provide it, but let's own it. You know, whether it's players or staff. And then this year was about extreme ownership. Uh, and funny enough, the ownership one was when COVID arrived. And if anything, what I'd learned is um, it's about being adaptable. It's about understanding things suddenly change. And when we first heard we're going to lockdown, we just finished, we're on a week's break, we're about to play Saracens. We came in and we heard we could be shut down. So basically just pulled all the heads of department together, key staff, and we made a plan and said, okay, if we're locked in, let's work on worst case scenario. Um, that we can't come in, we can't see each other, so forth. We have to stay in the houses. So each department, I ask them, come to the meeting with how are you going to ensure that your area can still survive in that. It was fantastic. They all came in, bam, 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 put the plan and brought all the players, brought the staff and said, this is the plan, this is how it's going to go. Equipment can go here. Um, you know, we're going to do all our meetings. We'll stay in schedule. So just we're doing it on Zoom. And basically you follow the plan. And, and if anything, we cope so well through it and then everything has been changing. One moment we're playing, one moment we're not, so forth. But we're able to adapt and conquer. And that's probably been a real catch cry for us. As something happens, we adapt. And what's actually happened from that, as I've seen it come through in games now, where our leaders on the field, our alignment group, they, they're adapting and problem solving along the way. And that's been accelerated because of COVID. So uh, out of anything, you can find positives and, uh, if you look for them. And we certainly have got a lot of positives out of it. Yeah, uh, some of the the answers I've had to that question have been overwhelmingly positive. I feel like people are a bit hesitant to say that, you know, 2020 was a good year for them. But for a lot of people, it seemed like they had a lot of personal learnings out of it. Mate, one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about when I had the opportunity to talk to you is, is culture. And I normally do this as kind of a conversation, but I'm just making the jump into the coaching world this year. And, and what I'm really, I heard you do a chat a little while ago with an Irish gentleman and it was a very good chat. I wish I could remember his name, but you said there were three things for a successful rugby program. What are, what are those things? And could we talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I'll come back to the culture side of it, but the non, yeah, the non-negotiables um, that I found, because I've been very fortunate and blessed to be in some very successful teams as a player and as a coach, but I've also been very, very fortunate to have been blessed to be in some horrific teams. And the good thing, you can stand back and you go, why was that successful? Why wasn't that very good? And you work it out. And what I came out of, there's three non-negotiables that you have to have, whatever you, whatever team you're coaching. 
Number one, you've got to have a game, uh, a game that can beat anybody. And what I mean by that, that's your tactics, that's your, you know, how you want to play the game. And I honestly believe I've got a game that can beat anyone. All right. And this is independent of the players. So once you have that game, so... Sorry, sorry Pat, can I just ask you on that? Is, is that dependent on UK versus New Zealand or is it condition specific? No, no, no for me, it's... Uh, um, it's, it, it's like, if I give you my, my philosophy on the game, my vision of the game is to be able to adapt and adjust and be able to be, sorry, to be comfortable to, um, you know, uh, win any game, any way, regardless of weather, conditions, um, type of fixture, away or home or whatever, doing whatever it takes to win. So go through a team, around a team, over a team. And so... Basically, so I'm not talking about players. I'm just saying, have I got a system? So when I look at a game and I go, right, I want to get on the short side. Have we got a system that we can do that? Have we got a system that can go through the middle, pick and go? Have we got a system that can, you know, so when I say system, because time, the, the best players seem to have a lot of time, but time doesn't go any faster or any slower. What it is when you're on the same page, you can make one call and everyone knows what's going. And I always talk about this when I was doing coaching seminars, people would say, Oh, we should just play. Just let the boys play. And I said, and playing versus structure. The thing is, people think structure is a bad word. No, structure is another word that we're all on the same page. And what I normally do, I'll normally, to reinforce it, I go, okay, four of you go stand there. You're on attack. Two of you, you're on defense. A confined space. Uh, I'm going to count to four seconds. And when I throw the ball over to you guys on attack, you have to beat these two. You two shut them down. So I go one, two, three, fourth, throw it to them. And, you know, they can guy gets the ball, they rush up, they always stop it. The tack can never do it in a confined space. And then I say, right, this time when I go four, I'm going to make a call. Let's call it um, Jack. Okay. So the ball goes to the first guy. The second guy, I want you to come on a straight line. The third, uh, this guy here, I want you to come underneath and this guy go at the back. So the ball carrier, you can either give it back on the inside, short ball or out the behind. All right. And uh, um, when I count to four, uh, start counting, you get into those positions. All right. So you go, right, okay. And I said, defense, get up and shut them down. So basically, one, two, three, four. You can see them all shuffling into their positions. Throw the ball, all right? They all run their rolls, their lines. Defense comes up and they score because the guy rushes up, he puts it on the inside. This time the guy comes in, he jams in, he puts it on the outside guy. And I said, I'll give you another go. Three out, three times in a row, they score tries. And what we've done is we're basically in one word and a little bit of structure, everyone's on the same page. They know what they're doing. And the ball carrier, more importantly, has all these options. So he can play. He can play. But now he knows. I look at the D. I've got an option here. I've got an option there. And I've got an option there. Rather than play patterns, because I could easily just go, okay, I'm going to give it to you. But it's not dependent on the D. Where is the space? Here you go. Rather than no structure, just play. Give me the ball. He, I don't know where they are. Where are they? And I just... Suddenly, the fence rushes me, and I've got no options. So that's always my argument when people say structure is a bad word. You know, let them play. Well, hold on. I know when you played, there's nothing more frustrating when you had no idea what the guy next to you is about to do and where is he going. Whereas on bit of structure, we know what we're trying to achieve. Okay, cool. Uh, sorry for cutting you off there. We were talking through the the three key elements of yeah. a successful team. That was great. So three non-negotiables is you've got to have a game, a game. I believe I've got a game that could be the All Blacks, the Wallabies, and so forth. But, you know, they're just as far as the structure. It's like playing chess. I have a strategy, if you like. Um, but obviously, I need the players to play the game, which is why I need good coaches to be able to upskill the players to play the game. And that's why that goes through. So the game is one. The second thing is you've got to have a good culture. 
i.e. we got to enjoy being it. So it doesn't actually feel like it's work or it's training. It's just I love hanging out with my mates and we're going to work hard together for a common goal. Because you could have a fantastic game, but if we don't enjoy being together and we don't enjoy coming to work, it will never work. Likewise, you could have a fantastic culture. Everyone enjoys coming together. We get on, you know, get on so well, but your game is limited, so you can't win championships. And the third thing that's non-negotiable is the leadership. If you don't grow leaders and you don't grow the next generation and everyone's developing as a leader, then it's just a, a one-off moment. And then suddenly it goes, because these guys have all moved on and it's died away. So if you want sustainable success, you've got to make sure you're growing leadership. So game, culture, leadership are the three non-negotiables. Um, yeah. How, how do you grow leadership at Bristol? Right. See, first of all, understanding leadership. Now, I have this equation, which is massive, and it's worked a treat for me since um, you know under, I learned it and understood it. Everyone talks about culture and leadership, but what actually happens is, the equation is the vision, the vision or the goal or the dream drives the leaders. So the leaders are making decisions about what the vision is, all right, what we want to achieve. And it keeps people accountable because people can say to me, well, Pat, what, how does what you're doing here help us reach that vision? You know, so rather than becoming, oh, I'm the boss, I'm in charge of this company, or I'm in charge of this sports team, and we're going to do this. What's it based on? Your ego, your own personal gain? No, it's based, it has to be based on the leader, on the vision. So vision drives leadership. Then the leadership can drive the culture. Then the culture drives the performance. And that's what leaves the legacy. So when I went to Connick, for instance, and they were talking about culture, we've got to improve culture and all this, da, da, da. Well, the first thing I said, well, hold on. The vision you guys told me, no one knows the vision. I asked them and everyone had six or seven different answers when I asked what's the vision of Connick Rugby. So that culture meeting changed to a vision meeting. Once we understood what is our purpose, what is our direction, what are we trying to achieve? And then you make the plan and then everyone's making decisions. So leadership for me is really, because people, there's that answer or that, um, sorry, people that question people go, are leaders born or are they made? Without a doubt, they're made because, you know, well, they're a bit of both because to me, everyone is the leader. And I ask that question whenever I do talks, hands up if you're a leader. Never, ever once does everyone put their hands up. And I said, well, good news, everyone's leaders because if you define leadership, it is the ability to influence. And we all have that ability. That's why John Wooden talks about, you know, leadership is always, sorry, John Maxwell talks about leadership is always the answer and it's always the problem. So if a sports team, a business, a family is going extremely well, look at the leadership. If it's struggling, look at the leadership because, you know, Duncan, I could, I could lead you very well down the right way and leadership is the answer. Or I could influence you and lead you down the wrong way and leadership is the problem. So, um, you know, making sure that um, uh, understanding that and then Everything that we put into it is about, I talk about, let's make a positive, let's make a difference. When? Let's make a difference today. Um, but it's only if the person has clarity on what we're trying to achieve. Like if me and you got together, we don't know each other, we just met tonight, and we both decided, oh, well, yeah, let's be leaders. First thing is, well, what are we trying to achieve first? What am I, what, what are we leading? You know, and we said, well, let's decide to have a really good podcast tonight, you know? And uh, so we, you know, 
so you influence me, I influence you, and we have a we have a great one. You know, it can be a great podcast. Or I decide, nah, I don't really want to have a good podcast. I'm going to cause a lot of issues here and be controversial. You can do that if and, you want, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. Well, I mean, I could easily go yes, no. Yeah. No, you know, but we're agreeing that you know, hopefully, this podcast can help people. So we're both agreeing to let's go for it. Absolutely. Uh, do you still interview players for leadership positions? Yeah, massive, massive, without a doubt. Every year, every year, doesn't matter, I'm going to my fourth season. Every year, people apply for the leadership group. Obviously, those who have applied. So basically, what I do is, it's mainly because I came through leadership groups a lot. And basically, because you've been there, sometimes you just go, well, Pat, you're the leader. And not even asking, just saying, you're the leader. So, okay, you know, of course, it's I loved it. But there's people that were... Um, you know, they were um, they weren't overly keen on doing it because of being a long hair and so forth. But I just feel that um, it's a it's such an important role that you have to really want to. And so what I say is, look, everyone, if you want to be part of the leadership group, you can apply. And um, and I do a survey when I did. Um, I, I was really interested in sports psychology, and New Zealand Rugby Union were fantastic in their coach development, and myself, Todd Blacker, Dave Rennie. Uh, Jamie Joseph, um, uh, Mark Hammett, we all went on different courses, but we all had a big interest in sports psychology. So we went to America and did um, the Applied Sports Psychology Conference, which was massive, the biggest in the world. And when I was over there, the best part was not only the lectures and the people that you listen to, and certainly, but it was the people you mix with. And I met this high school football coach, and he told, we were talking about leadership, and, uh, and he gave me his, his questionnaire. 15 questions. And basically the way the questions were framed, there was blank spaces. And so, so-and-so is the uh, hardest working person on the team. So bang, you fill in the name. Um, so-and-so um, will keep the coaches and the players aligned. And basically what it ended up being, the questions were broken into uh, three different areas. One was you're leading by, um, uh, by voice, one you're leading by your actions, and one you're leading by reputation. And there was another one, um, and and but and so you could see. And ideally, you want to feature really well and across the board, rather than one area. Um, and so what I do is through that survey, you are able to work out who the players and the staff, you know, saw was the overall leader, and you rank them. And then you see who applied. So I might have the number one guy, but he decides he doesn't want to apply. No problem. And normally, like I had um, Stephen Lautour when he first came up, same with, um, you know, he wasn't uh, his first year, didn't want to be in the leadership group. And when I talked to him, he goes, well, I just want to build relationships and get to know. I don't want to go on there. So it's great. Most people think he'd go in. The second year, he goes, oh, coach, I want, to, I want to apply. I said, cool, apply for it. So you don't, you, don't push people, you don't push people to do it? It's no, They have to no, want no. to do it. Exactly. And so when they apply, basically, I normally get about 20 applying. Um, I accept uh, 13 interviews and we normally settle for 10 people. And basically, the good thing from it, <clears throat> they have to come to interviews and they've got three things they need to, um, they've got a 10, 15 minute window. Firstly, um, why they want to be in the leadership group, what value can they bring to the leadership group? And um, the third one is, um, um, what does the ultimate leader look like to you? So they come and talk, and a lot of them do PowerPoint presentations and they go through, which is fantastic. That's great. But the cool thing about it is that on the back of that, we select the leaders. Um, there's normally a panel of three. And the cool thing from it is that at least the whole group knows that they've gone through the process. At least I know 
And everyone else knows these guys are so passionate and determined to be in the leadership group. So then they suddenly, everyone looks at that leadership group as, yeah, normally when we announce them, everyone's cheering, everyone, yeah, awesome. And then they're the group. And now when they get in the leadership group, then there's portfolios. So they've all got, it's no point just being in the leadership group and I've been in them. You're the leader. Okay, but then the coach does everything. What's the point of me being in the leadership group? And then they want the coach wants you to say what he wants you to hear. Um, and then you agree. And if you don't agree, normally they change you out. But I give them portfolios and basically we have a, a standards committee. So they run everything. So I have a three-tiered system. You know, things like if someone misses a physio appointment, instead of the physio complaining to me, oh, he missed a physio appointment, I've got to do all this. He just drops an email to the two guys who are in charge of the standards. He copies me in. And then those guys pick it up and that guy will end up doing rolling the dice and he could end up paying a hundred pound. He could end up, um, you know, helping out the kit man for the week, whatever. There's all these different circumstances. So that's level one. Level two is myself and the CEO, which leads to a, could lead to a formal um, or written warning. And then level three is the board and the CEO. And that could lead, that, that's bad stuff. Like as in you're arrested or you're, you've done something really bad and that could lead to, you know, contract terminated probably my whole time I've had this, I've had one visit to level two because okay. the senior leaders look after it and the players control the whole lot, which is awesome. The next portfolio we have is the culture group and they organize all the functions. They organize the guys who look up. They, they then delegate roles or music committee, uh, birthdays, uh, jokes, all of these fun things that go on in the team. So we arrive at a meeting as, you know, I might say well, culture group and they go, right, bam, bam. Give us some facts on Bristol. So there's two guys that have to have all these facts on Bristol. And he goes, well, did you know in 1755, the first thing was brought in here? And the boys go, no, awesome, awesome. Or throw a joke in. So there's people that are organized keeping that and they organize all the different functions. We had a culture day last week and they had uh, mini teams, uh, the table tennis, uh, foosball. They had all these different competitions. The winning team gets a perfect dinner. The last team has to serve them. So they run all that culture thing. Then we have a training uh, committee that give feedback on the trainings. Too hard, too soft, need more of this, whatever. It's perfect, whatever. So they feedback on the training and also the team schedule. I have a academy representative for the young guys. So he's the, the academy guys choose him and he represents them. He's the voice for them. Um, we've got a, a media guy, social media, normal media. He works with the media guys. So instead of the media guy coming to go, Pat, I need to talk to these guys, or he stands up in the front, I need these people for media, you, 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 and you, and they all got rolling their eyes. What ends up happening, he links with that guy. So the player steps up, right, fellas, we've got to get these key messages across. Um, da, 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 here's the list. You're on this, you're on this, you're on this. The boy's going, sweet, no problem. And then we have a community guy, which is massive. He's the, probably the most important guy because any request for the players, whether it's schools, hospitals, and so forth, the, the community people come to him and then he drops texts. It's awesome to see WhatsApp goes out. Fellas, there's a, a visit coming up to the hospital um, to go and see the kids. The kids go, I need 10 volunteers. And I'm sitting at home and I'm just going, I'm in, I'm in, I'm seeing, I'm in, I'm in. And it's all, it's all handled by the players. They're all running the whole thing. Um, so... Yeah, it's uh, the leadership group runs the team off the field um, on behalf of the players. And then I have an alignment group, which is the on the field guys. And that's selected each week after we select the team and they run the game on the field. So more game callers, captain, line out caller, yeah. all that sort you of normally stuff. normally have 10, 10 guys there, the two nines, the two tens, the captain, line out caller, um, you know, depending center, fullback like that. So normally about 10 guys and they, 
they meet with the coaches. We talk about the game plan for this week. Obviously, we've got a template. And we say, well, these are the things we're going to do. What do you think? You know, they've looked, yeah, all good. And then they drive those key messages throughout the week. Uh, is, is that usually driven by you? Or do you try and put it back onto the boys to contribute to that? No, they. Well, what we do is, um, like, I, I'm, I'm, if a guy is not good presenting, there's no good putting a guy up there to present just because it's good for him to present. At the end of the day, the boys want clarity. When you're going... 30-odd games week after week. the And the guys also, the coaches do all the work, but the key when you're out, we're now into our fourth season, there's a really good template and understanding of what we do. So it's all about making sure that, you know, we sign it off. What they deliver is the mindset, the key thoughts, the key things, and then they, um, they'll they drive it through, throughout the game. So it's uh, the beauty, the reason it's called a line, it's aligning the coaches and the players together. We'll throw scenarios, we'll make sure that you understand key rules. I mean, I'm watching teams and even my old team has been struggling making poor decisions in the last plays of the game. You know, we, we talk about things when we went into a challenge, we need the scenario, we need 19 points, we need this, we need this. So we get to the end, let's do this and this and players have got that and they deliver it. Okay, cool. Um, one of the things that I, well, I did a little bit of research about this, and one of the things I constantly hear about you is that you, the big focus of your program is making sure that players that leave, leave not only as better players, but better people. How do you go about that? Really good question. I think the big thing is that you treat them like people. That's the key. I think the experiences, I, I believe what, what I love about a rugby team, and I said this to our guys, I said, fellas, look around, look around. No one here is all from Bristol. We've got Englishmen, we've got um, Irish guys, we've got Scottish, we've got Welshmen, we've got um, Australians, we've got South African, we've got the Kiwis, we've got the Island Boys, Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. I said, mate, we are an example of what the world can be like. Look at all of us, our different backgrounds. Some have come from really wealthy backgrounds and wealthy education. Some have come from extremely poor. Some have come from... Um, Big families, some have come from, you know, single, you know, single child. I mean, it's, you know, solo parents or everything you can think of the world is here. But I said, some are 18 and Johnny I Files 37, you know. But I said, look at it. Do we ever talk about it? Do we know, but how well do we get on? Because we respect each other, you know, and we build relationships and we don't really care about all that stuff. It's about the here and the now. And I said, that's exactly what the world can be like, is that we're not judging anyone by you know, his colour or size or age or, you know, all of those things or education. It's all about building relationships and getting on. And, uh, you know, and I think when you focus on people um, and then what, and you put a massive thing in, and now it's interesting, my best signing I made last year was the chef. Uh, we've got an awesome chef. And I was sitting down with him and he's probably been here about three weeks. And he's, you know, Michelin restaurants, five-star restaurants, hotels. Uh, uh, he served in the forces as well with, as a chef. And he's very well, he's got a great CV. I was just sitting down with him one day and, he, and I said, how are you finding it? And I love it. Absolutely love it. And I said, I've never, ever worked in an environment like this. And I said, really? And he goes, you know why, Pat? And he pointed to the, the sign I have on the wall. And he said, it's because of that. And what was up there is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I put that in the dining room because we're all in there and we see it. It's a big writing. And he goes, people here care. People here care. You know, and, you know, even like in, when I talk about um, 
the culture group, they've got a birthdays committee. Mate, no one's birthdays miss. When the first thing in the morning, you'll see someone's birthday. Everyone is WhatsApping them, you know, happy birthdays. They have a great day. So, and when we come in, we make a big deal of that person when they come in and just little things like that. And I think when they enter as, um, as a, uh, when you leave and, yeah, they the plan is through the rugby program, they become better players. But the better people is because of the focus around caring, around the focus around relationships, um, the focus around being a good husband, being a good partner, being a good father. And it's simple things about caring, caring for people. And when you have that, naturally, they will grow and they see it. And when they see it, it expands into the rest of their life. So, you know, that's what, it's an easy statement to make as a philosophy. It's in my coaching philosophy. And most of the, well, pretty much every wall on, every quote on our wall and our new high performance center has come straight out of my coaching philosophy. And, um, but I will never put anything on the wall that I don't believe we're doing or I don't believe is true. Um, I, I had a few random questions for you. And the, there's been a bit of a theme with some of the people I've been talking to about failure and turning failure or learning from failure. Have you had any failures, favorite failures that you might be willing to talk about that have set yeah. you up for future success? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I have a, it's in our, in our, one of the quotes that are up in our change room, actually, down at Ashton Gate, that we put up we never lose, we win or we learn. Right. And when we win, you're learning, but when we learn. So everything in life is about, okay, you know, what have we done well? What could we do better? People think, um, you know, people think success is you start here and you start going up and you get to the destination. No, it's, it's like this up and down all over the place. And the only thing that determines whether you come up, because it's not guaranteed that you come up, you could end up going down, are two questions. What have I done well? And what could I do better? regardless of the situation. The first question of what have I done well is your reinforcement that um, you're good at what you do, all right? And that builds your confidence and your belief in what you're doing. The second question of what could I do better is your growth and your learning. Now, the thing is, people who only focus on the first one, what have I done? I did, oh, I did this well, I did this well, I was good here, I was good here. Well, they miss out on the opportunity to actually get better. You know, and the people who only focus on, oh, I should have done this, I should have done this, and I should, oh, I should have done this, they end up with confidence and self-esteem issues because they're not acknowledging and keeping that balance. So I'll get players often come in and go, you know, and I, I never give a player, uh, I always ask questions. So he asked me, well, coach, what do you think, of, how do you think I played? And I said, well, a scale of 10, they know I use my scale of 10. 10 is the best game you ever played in, in your life. What do you think it is? Now I know the guy missed a couple of tackles, um, dropped the ball a couple of times. It wasn't his best game. And he goes, oh, well, it's probably a five. And I said, well, what, what would you give it a five? And he goes, well, I dropped the ball a couple of times. I missed a few tackles. And I said, well, okay, well, when you missed the tackles in relation to how we coach, what, what was the issue? He goes, oh, I lunged, I was too far away and I stretched for it and I didn't get in front. I said, excellent. So what are you going to do this week in your skills plan? I work with Omar and I'll do some tracking and get my feet and do some, some tackling tracking drills. Excellent, great. And how about the dropping the ball? What happened? No, concentration. Now the boys know that's not, a, that's not an answer. So I'll say, no, how did you, why did you drop the ball? And he goes, oh, I'm not sure. I said, go and have a look and come back. And he said, I took my eyes off it. So what's your focus this week? Go and get the ball. Don't let it come to you, go and get it. So put that in your skills plan that you're going to put a focus. So I could easily say, mate, it wasn't a great game for you. 
you know, you dropped the ball, you did this, da da da. Mate, at the end of the day, he looks at me going, oh, it wasn't that bad. But all I've done is I've raised his self awareness. All right. And once I've raised the self awareness, we've then identified what actually was the problem. And when they also talk about that, and, um, and, and so when, sorry, we recognize this problem about his drop balls and his missed tackles, but now he has a plan to fix it for the next week. So he leaves away from there. But the other side of it too is that, um, is, is that ultimately when I talk about ownership, is if he won't own that problem if I don't ask those questions. It's like an alcoholic. I can tell an alcoholic, stop drinking, do this, do this. But unless he actually says, hey, I'm an alcoholic, then you can't help him. So self-awareness and raising it is a huge, it's in our coach's office, because I said it's the greatest tool for us as coaches is to raise their self-awareness. So they recognize I need help. And then again, we can get in there. Um, my, sorry, go back to the failure, the Blues, 2012 season. Um, people think, it's so funny, I love it, because, um, you know, the year before, I think um, I think we were um, the last team to uh, uh, make the playoffs. I think we lost to the Reds in the semi-final in Brisbane. And um, and then the next year, it, uh, it didn't go so well for a lot of reasons. But it was the best development year I had. And I always smile because people go, oh, yeah, you know, he won a Pro 12 Connacht, he's doing well at Bristol, but, geez, he was terrible at the Blues. And I laughed and I go, that's my best year. Be better than any of the winning years because I would never have grown and developed without understanding what that year took. And in that year, what that gave really clear, that equation came out of the back of that I said to you. No vision, which means no organisational vision. And what I said, I've never taken another job unless I had clarity on what the club's vision is. What do they want to achieve? And more importantly, does everyone know it? Because then, then I can keep everyone accountable, leadership, culture, performance. You can't have a team doing it and the organization, the admin and them doing their own thing, the CEO doing his own thing. So I was very picky and that's why people looked at me surprised. Connect, where's that? Where's the bottom? Why would you take that job? Because we had that discussion. The other thing I said I'd never do is I would never ever take a job if they don't understand what I do. And that was important because the blues was the first job in my life and the only job where I didn't have to do an interview because I had uh, um, a success of Auckland, the um, MPC team. They handed me the job. They said, Pat, you want to, and I, was, I mean, I'm 38 or 39 and I'm like, my, my home team, super rugby. Yeah. I take it. Salaries doubled or tripled. Great. Of course I wouldn't say no, but I, but I never got the opportunity to say, what, well, hold on. What is the vision of the blues? and never got the opportunity to say, this is what I want to do. They just gave it to me, and then I went. And it wasn't until I was in the job, and I was looking, oh, hold on, what's that? Don't worry about that, Pat, you just worry about the team. Okay, don't worry about that, you just worry about this. And I could see all of these things actually have an impact on the performance of the team, but I couldn't do anything about it. So the next job's Connacht in Bristol. I mean, Bristol, I'm in a dream job in the sense that Steve Lansdowne flew over to Ireland, asked me to come, and I said, well, hold on, Steve. He says, I want you to come and do what you did at Connacht. And I said, well, do you understand what I do? But more importantly, what do you want? And when we established that, I said, if you're looking for a coach that just wants to come and coach rugby, you got the wrong guy. Don't get me wrong. Coaching is my passion. So I'll be out on the field. However, culture, game, culture, leadership, what we talked about before, I need to make sure that I lead, have the ability to lead in the culture of the whole place. I'm not talking the rugby team, the whole organization and the growing the leadership of the place. And once he ticked that off, I agreed. 
and um, and it's uh, it's going well. And I only answer to the him who's the board, his son, and the chairman. It um, that's a great answer. Thank you very much for that. No problem. Um, how important is personal personal development for yourself and your staff, and how do you attack it? Huge. I mean, I look for four things in staff, um, Duncan. It's uh, I normally in interviews for everything, and but I have four key qualities, and all my staff know this that I look for. Number one, quality. Do they actually know this stuff? So if you're a doctor, is he the best doctor? And or is it a physio? Is it the trainer? Is it a rugby coach, a skills coach? Whatever. Do they actually know this stuff? However, there's a caveat to it. Do they have a growth mindset? Are they people who think I know I don't need to learn anymore? Because that's the problem. So straight away, you've got to be developing and have a hunger to first and learn and 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 uh, you know uh, network and and find out, read podcasts, trying to get better at what you do. First and foremost, second thing: Are you able to get your message across? Understand that Charles Piertel Lynn's completely different from Semi Odraja, who's completely different from um, Dave Atwood, who's completely different from Harry Randall. Everyone learns differently. That's my teaching background. So you can't stand up and go, right, da -da 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 -da, got it, I told them. Because you've got to be able to relate, relate to your audience, to whoever you're working with. And the other side of it too, and again, from a teaching background, you've got to have the ability, some guys need the hug. Mate, you know, I just, you know, you've got to give them a bit of, a bit of love. Some guys need to stick. Now, how do you know which one to work? You've got to have that skill to be able to go up and down that area. And how do you know which one shall I use? Your ability to have build relationships. If you can build relationships, you'll know exactly the type that you could use and you have that skill. So that's the second thing. The third thing I call PPD, planning, preparation, and detail. A lot of ex-players who don't have a teaching background or are really organized, this is where they struggle because they know they're good at getting their message, they're, you know, they, they're really convincing, but they, the paperwork and the planning to make sure it all fits in a systematic plan, you know, so that here's the year, here's the six-month plan, here's the decision plan. Those are key skills that you've got to be able to have whatever, whatever uh, role you do in the organization. The fourth thing and most important, team person, can you work as a team? And I treat the management team exactly like the players. We're a team within the team. And normally, um, before we start any season, I have the management uh, uh, workshop conference, and which I lead. And we basically, the same message, unless we become a team, and I'll drive everyone like we're part of the, we are the team. There's no hope in how that the, um, the players will be a team and the management are a team. So the same sort of qualities that I want from a team player has to happen in the staff. Now, generally, we hire people in any area of life for number one. Oh, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're great. They've done this. Their CV, awesome. They've done all these things. But we fire people generally on number four. You know, their team skills, the ability to work, the ability to relate, so forth. So those are the four areas. And even when I'm interviewing a doctor, now I don't know which doctor knows more. I'll leave that to the doctor. But what the questions I ask is around, I can get a, a sense of them working as a team. I'll, like, I'll give you one example of a question. Can you give me an example of conflict and how you handle it? Or I'll say, you're in the physio room and the player goes, oh, I, I completely disagree with what Pat's done. I don't agree with this. We should be doing something different. Da, da, da. How do you handle that information? Well, I don't know what Pat's doing. And I ask that question. People get that wrong. Now, I'm not going to tell you what their right answer is because 
every person, I'd say only 10% of people get it right. So I don't want to give away this answer. The people come to the interviews and they give me the right answer. Yeah, mate, for sure, for sure. I've got a couple more questions for you and I'll, I'll leave you alone. I'm no very, problem, buddy. very conscious of your time. I'm fascinated by skill acquisition. How how do you go about that? Is it is it coach driven? Is it player driven? And, and how does it compare for someone like a uh, John Afoa, who's you know probably got fewer days ahead of him than than behind him, um, as opposed to like an academy prop? How, how do you guys attack that? Right. I think the biggest thing is it starts from the head coach, and that comes back to the game. Right. So. I want to play, obviously, all-court game, if you like. Uh, we have all different... When I was a captain, I wanted to have all the bullets. All right, So, right, we're five metres out. We need to... Well, actually, is our line-out any good? Is our maul any good? Can we do that? So that's an area straight away. We've got to skill people up in those areas, make sure our, our line-out pillars, our fundamentals are good, and our driving maul is good. Right, OK, we've got a scrum for five. We need a good platform. Is our scrum good? And then we say we want to move you know, the backs. Is our back attack good? So all the principles of rugby... Then it comes to say phase, I want to go wide, but hold on. Oh, how am I going to get this the props around here? Straight away. The again, the big picture is I know that we can go from here to head here, and the backs have got to be outstanding in the breakdown. The forwards have got to be able to pass the ball just as well as the backs, if not better. So then your skill or your team skills, because you have core skills, which is I'm a hooker, throw. No one else has to learn how to throw a ball except the hookers. No one else has to learn how to goal kick except the goal kickers. But there's team skills, which everybody has to learn. So whether it's your break, for me, it's the breakdown, it's your ball carries, it's your catch pass. It's your alignment, your timing, all of these different things that we work on. And so the boys know exactly, here's your core skills, here's the team skills. Now, the coach, the skill development guy, I mean, I'm amazed a lot of teams don't have skill coaches. One of the biggest things that I have, and I had an awesome guy, Dave Ellis in New Zealand. He did that for me at Connacht. And, you know, we won, everyone was surprised, and it was come out of nowhere to win that, uh, the Pro 12. And we upskilled the guys. And we didn't have the biggest, well, we had the lowest budget, and, um, you know, but we had hard workers who wanted to develop. And I always say the magic happens when I've got highly motivated, coachable players and I've got quality coaches. Now, if a player is so motivated, I want to learn. And But a coach turns around to me and says, he can't do that. The problem's with the coach straight away when they talk about players. But if I know that a coach is giving it everything and the players, oh, okay, I don't know if I'll do this the issues with the um, with the player. So bringing that together is, is that's where the magic, and that's why no one, I never sign anyone unless they have an interview. And I normally ask about their dream, what do you want and where you're at, da, 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 da. And, and normally from that interview, I can tell if a person's hungry or not. And if he's not, I'm not interested. I don't care what he's done before. Okay, cool. But skill acquisition is without a doubt, it's the, for me to play the game I want, I need these guys upskilled. Is it, is it a weekly thing, a yearly thing? How it's a daily, 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 thing. daily thing. Like every, in our schedule, like I've got a skills coach and um, every morning um, we have windows uh, 7, 7.15 and 7.30 or sometimes 7.15, 15 minute blocks. And there's uh, 15 minutes of static, 15 minutes of walking, 15 minutes of jogging. So the boys on WhatsApp, they say, oh, I'd like to come in. So already I've seen it flying this tonight for tomorrow morning. So static might be peripheral vision. So it's normally about 10 in the group. 
10 places in the group. So guys, the skills coaches doing things where, you know, guys are catching hair, you know, they've got to read cards or stuff like that. Walking might be, um, you know, uh, passing stuff or game plan stuff and then jogging and so forth. So it's constantly, there's those sessions. Pre-season, they do lots. And then we have one-on-one. So we're our defense coach, our defense and collision coach, he's made a huge difference because guys are learning techniques and stuff. So we'll do stuff as a group, but then guys are able to go and top up. And what I do as a coach, when guys are doing well, I normally sell the message. Fellas, the only reason he's done really well, like Harry Randall's made the England team, you know, um, recently the first foundation bear to make it. And I, I highlight all the things that he did. He invested, he took ownership. So going back to our principles, he decided I want to get better. And I'll show you the name of all the different things. That ain't a fluke why Harry's done this or why his kicking's better, because he's put the work in. And guess what? We know that. And so I'll challenge players. Um, okay, so have you had a conversation, a one-on-one with that coach? No, so, so whose who's job is it? These guys are willing to help, but they're not going to chase you. So we've created a really good culture where players know that I will put the, you know, I believe we've got the best medical team, the best athletic performance team and the best coaching group. All of this resources here. But again, it's over to you. If you want to get better, and that's why they say me, tell me this is their dream and how are you going to improve? And I said, well, hold on. Is it really a dream? Because it doesn't look like you really want to get involved. So everything is logged. I know Coaches, well, I know exactly who's been to the skills kit, you know, so forth. And it tends to be guys who drop out of form. You know, they normally know the answer. They haven't put the work in. You know, I've decided that's enough. So it's uh, there's a lot that goes into it, Duncan, but it's, uh, it's, it's hugely rewarding when you see players and then collectively as a team uh, improve. And people said to me, well, Pat, how are you going to get consistency? I said, well, every individual has to get better. We get better as individuals, we grow as a team. Um, mate, this has been an absolute pleasure. I've got one more question for you that I promised the, the Southern Districts boys that I'd ask. Donnie oh. McKinnon, what, what stories <laughs> do you have that you could share about him? <laughs> Man, I only got a lot of love for that guy. And it's funny enough, when you talked about culture, um, you know, on our wall, I define culture. And it's funny, you imagine this and you've been there, you know, 50 blokes. And I say, right, fellas, culture. You want to know what my culture is? This is what it means. Boom. And a word goes up. Love. And you can see them all. Everyone going, what is this? And I said, I know what you're thinking. And I said, that's because people have bastardized that word love and misrepresented it. If you think about it, I'll give you the actual definition of love. It is sacrificing oneself for the benefit of others. So I said, think about the people you love. Would you do anything to... Uh, for them to benefit and everyone's going yeah yeah and I say so when I'm here and I get stepped on the inside and my mate like Donnie McKinnon accelerates to close that gap and and covers my ass and, and tackles him that's a lot of love when I was on the ground playing for Northampton and I got caught in a bad position and guys about to jackal and Donnie McKinnon Lowers his, lowers his body and smashes into the sky for me to recover to lay. Man, that's a lot of love. Put his body on the line for that. And when I see the older guys without being asked to help younger guys and talk to more new players come in, we got uh, Shapiro's arrived and 
you know, English is a second language. And the boys, I can see them helping. I'm saying, man, it's a lot of love. And we've got this up on the wall. I don't need to spend thousands of dollars for someone to tell me, oh, this is culture. And, you know, and we'll just see how your culture is. I can see it. But we've defined it. We've defined it. It's love. But we've defined what love means. And then we recognize and acknowledge the cool actions of love. And it's become a word that's used a lot by us now because people understand what it is. And so going back to Don McKinnon, man, I just got a lot of love for the guy. I mean, we achieved something real special that at the time, I remember the, the night before um, we won the, the Heineken Cup, the European Cup and Northampton's first trophy in 120 years or whatever. And I remember saying to the guys, if we pull this off, doesn't matter, no matter where we are in 10 years, 20 years time, 30 years time, we'll all be a lot of different places in the world. But when we see each other and we look each other in the eye, we'll know, we don't have to say anything, we'll know we achieved something special. And all the memories will come flooding back. So certainly when I think of Don, you know, I was eight, he was six. Um, and, uh, you know, we both, you know, well, I know he's an Aussie, but uh, he has that, that Maori background. Um, <laughs> It was, uh, there's a lot of fond memories of him. And uh, and again, that's why when, when he comes up, you know, we just pick up where we were, you know, even though we don't see each other much. He came up with Jesse and the, and the boys on a tour yeah. and they come and spend some time with us, which was awesome. But you just pick it up and there's special times. So uh, he's a great, and it's great he's doing well down there and he's involved in the club because he's a great team man. Mate, that's a great way to finish. Thank you so much for your time, Pat. I really appreciate it, mate. Cheers, Duncan. Pleasure, buddy. Good, good luck this weekend. I'll be following from afar, mate. Thank you very much. Take care, buddy. Thanks, you mate. Too. You too, Pat. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, guys, that's the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to check us out on YouTube or on the Apple Podcast Store or on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest episodes. And if you want to check us out on Instagram, it's at Wandering Bear Sports or on Facebook at Wandering Bear Sports. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.